Hi, I'm Daniel Wordsworth. For more than 30 years, I've experienced war zones, natural disasters, refugee camps, and sprawling slums. Now I'm going to show you a better and more optimistic world. This podcast is Finding Good. Hello, Daniel. Hi, Fitz. In a previous episode, you were talking about a $500 idea. Mm -hmm. If you haven't heard that episode, particularly we're talking about, can you quickly explain what that is? Yeah, so this is based on the idea of sort of the power of ideas and the um, what happens when you begin getting a sort of avalanche of ideas emerging across the world and they all accumulate together to bring about big change. Okay. And the way we discovered that was we were working in one refugee settlement called Nakavale, around 100,000 refugees. We had 35 team members in there. They were delivering water, some nutrients, a number of things. And they got they, they went on strike one day because they said, we're just not doing a good enough job. And so the 35 of them went on strike. We sent a team member in, a person by the name of Sarah, to resolve the strike. And so she sat down with them and said, um, what do we need to do? And they said, the water system's no good, the, this is no good, the, this is no good. And then she said, well, how do we solve this? And they said, well, th thank you for asking. It's about $2 million. We'll replace all this uh, water. We'll re replace the clinic. We'll So $2 million. And Sarah said, uh, well, I got good news and I got bad news. And that these people, they're all up in arms, mm -hmm. very upset because they, they like refugees. That's why they're living in the refugee camp helping them. Yes. And they think they're not doing a good enough job. And they're like, well, give us the bad news. And she said, well, we don't have $2 million. Are you crazy? <laughs> yep. And then they said, well... They're all crestfallen. Well, what's the good news? And then she said, well, in my bag, my handbag, I have my per diem, right, the daily allowance that people get when they go into place. So she said, I got my per diem. Mm -hmm. And they are all in the room, well, how much is your per diem? And then she, she reached into the handbag. She pulled out $500. And she said, it's $500. And everybody was just sitting there like you're sitting here now, like what? And then she said, but we're going to spend this $500 today. So I want you to break up, come up with an idea of how we can spend $500 today to make a refugee's life better. Right. And they broke up for a few hours. They came up with hundreds of ideas. One of them they picked and they went out and did the $500 thing and they loved it. And what we did in that organization, this is when I was back in Alight, we then committed every day to do at least one $500 idea. But we also said... When a situation seems impossible, you need $2 million, a whole new water system, mm -hmm. and you can't get it, then do what's possible. Do something right now yeah. with $500. Right. And so the people still do that? Like every day is something done with $500 in that organisation? Well, I've, I've left a light now, but I'm guessing they still do, yeah. Oh. And was it effective? Did the, did the refugees like it? Or are they even aware that it existed? Yeah, so, well, that, that, I think that's a key question. What happened along that? That was, uh, I've told on one podcast, the story of the wedding photos. And yes, the, the, they wanted sucks. somewhere to have their wedding, wedding photos. Yeah. That was the $500. We had this another one uh, re related to a plate library that, that I'll talk about later. But, what? yes, what we're trying to unlock here was just an accumulation of actions taken to improve the kind of services that we deliver. Yeah. And then the question you got to ask is, well, is it working? Yeah, how do you how do you know? You like, know that, yeah. And so this is a big. What's question. a KPI? <laughs> yeah, so well, there's multiple KPIs that people use, and uh, most organisations have literally thousands of them. Is nutrition improving? Are kids going to school? What's the result? Yeah. But know? that but that's all observed, right? That's all observed by the workers and and your organisation. Going, we can see this is improving. We can see this is improving. But, but what about the people living in the camps? Do they give you feedback? Well, they didn't, but we we tried to change that. 
Yep. Right. So we asked the question, and even though it's observable, it's actually harder than you think to do that. And it's actually quite hard to do it when you're so dispersed, when you've got teams in refugee camps running cl clinics or water points. To know how to help them and how to serve them is quite difficult. So we, I was asking for many years, how could we know in real time? Because, again, what you're working with is like a health clinic or a water point. Yeah. If you're messing up on a daily basis, that has an impact on people's lives. If you wait six months to get out the answer, was this any good, or 12 months, too late. So we thought, how do we know on a daily basis if what we're doing is actually helping refugees, if all these ideas yeah. are accumulating and actually producing some sort of positive change? So I was thinking, how, how do other people do this? Suggestion box. <laughs> <laughs> actually, we ended up trying a suggestion box, oh, and, really? I'll, and I'll, I'll talk about that. But, yeah, and a lot of organizations use suggestion boxes. But I thought, who's really succeeded at this? And that was when Uber was taking off. And Uber has this thing, right? So before Uber came, taxis mm -hmm. were like the worst things in the universe. Yeah. Then Uber comes along and Uber gives everybody the chance to rate them. You know, happens, yeah. bad, good, bad. And over the years, that revolutionized uh, taxis. It made Uber amazing. And then you see on, on Netflix, thumbs up or thumbs down. Yes. And on Amazon, green or red. Yeah. And then you realize that what's going on around us, what people would be given these binary choices. Do you like it? Do you not like it? And then I thought, well, why don't we let refugees rate us like uh, we rate an Uber taxi cab? Mm -hmm. And I, I told people, this is what we're going to do. And everybody said, this is the dumbest idea ever. You have a lot of iPads in the refugee camp? Actually, that's the easy bit. People oh, really? Have, yeah, yeah. People have telephones. The, it, the hardest bit was convincing people that this is the way to do it. Because everybody said, in our work, our sector, yeah. people said, no, 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 no. This is not scientific enough. You're not asking enough questions. We have all these hundreds of indicators. You've got to measure it scientifically. It takes years to do it. And I said, I just want to know, is the nurse in my clinic got enough drugs and is she helping someone? I just want to know that the water point is open every day. What do I use for that? And so, so I worked actually with a design firm called IDEO. Mm -hmm. You know, they're the guys that did the first Apple mouse. And they, they're like, the yeah. I think, the world's leading design firm. Yeah. And I brought them in and I said, how do you let – refugee, rate you and your services in real time. And so we sent the first IDEO team in. And IDEO is super cool people, right? So they went into the refugee camp. Most of them have never been to it. We picked one, Nakavali refugee camp, to be the pilot for this. Mm -hmm. 100,000 people, many different nationalities. So they spent the first few weeks there and they called up and they said, this is the dumbest idea ever. Now, <laughs> IDEO never says an idea is bad. They're the ultimate yes and people, right? Yeah. IDEO will always say, there's no such thing as a bad idea. And yet they called me up one day and said, turns out there is there is one. <laughs> yep. And you had it, right? In our whole of our history of IDEO, yeah. no one's ever had a bad idea until you. And then I go, what's the bad idea? And they go, letting a refugee rate your service like Uber. I go, why is that a bad idea? They say for two reasons. One, refugees don't know about rating things. We know about rating things, but they don't know about rating things. Yeah. And secondly, do you know what it's like here, Right. It's bad. Oh, so they're thinking all the ratings are just going to be bad all It'll the time. Be, it's all going to be bad. This and is like, varying degrees You're of not taking this seriously enough. Yeah. You're like, do you realize there's 100,000 people living in the middle of nowhere and, 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 and you want to get them to rate smiley face, frowny face? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I said. How is your experience in this refugee camp? Yeah. Smiley? Smiley? It's sad. <laughs> How is the water point you lined up for for an hour? Smiley face? Or the, so they said, uh, bad. And so I said, two things. My, here's my answer. Yeah. One, 
no one taught us how to use Uber. Mm. You can figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, there's no manual for Uber. They'll figure it out, right? They're as smart as we are. But on your second point, I know what you're seeing. This is all new to you, but I was fully aware of all of that, and I'm telling you we need to do a rating system. They got so upset that they actually did a suggestion box because they said, this one is dumb. They said, what we will do is we'll prototype all these different things, Mm. and you will see that your idea is the dumbest of all. Yes or no, <laughs> good or bad, right? So we and one of them was a suggestion box. They, they did cell phone calling. They did a 1-800 number. They do all these things. 1-800 number. No one from a refugee like a camp is calling a 1-800 yeah, number. Yeah, no, they have you know, oh, okay. like a text thing. Yeah, they have, they have te- everyone has telephones. This, oh, Sorry, everyone has telephones? Everyone has telephones. They have Androids that are made locally. Yeah, everyone in the refugee camp has a telephone. Okay. And so and so they had a way to do that. And uh, so what they did is when the, all the suggestions came in, they're so sad. They would be things like, I am number 47. I've been here for 10 years. I can see no way out. Please help me. Just really it was hundreds of his sad letters. And so they published them in a book and they presented me the book. Right. And they said, read these. And then I read them through and they said, and you want to rate them with a smiley face, frowning face? <laughs> and I said, absolutely, I do. Yeah. And so he said, stick to it. And they tried. And in the end, though, we came up with this system. What we did is we, we appoint refugees. The thing was called Kuja Kuja, which means in Swahili, come, come. Right. Because whenever a refugee was going to get a rating, we would call them over, Kuja Kuja. And we, we trained refugees. We had a refugee team that ran Kuja Kuja, which is the name of this rating. Yeah. And they had a little iPad, little um, Android version, and it has an app on it which has a smiley face and a frowny face. And it has a little button that you can, with your finger on the iPad, oh, slide you it. can slide it. Sliding scale. Good. And when you slide it to green, it goes green. And when you slide it to red, it goes red and it's fun. Yeah. And so we downloaded this app and our refugees would then go and stand at the water point holding the thing or at the clinic holding the thing. Yeah. And whenever a refugee used the service, they would say, could you, could you come over? Did you like it or not? Right. But that rudimentary form of quantitative research was only ever going to give you we like it or we don't like it. Yeah. You need some qual. You need to understand a little bit more, don't you? Actually, my view at the time was no, mm-hmm. and I, I'm still not convinced that you did. However, something happened yeah, as we did this because what had happened is no one had ever asked a refugee ever before. Remember, this camp started in 1958. No one had ever asked them if they were satisfied with anything. It had never been asked. Yep. So the first time <laughs> the, the refugee would stand there at the water point and would say, did you like the service, yes or no? And they did what's the obvious thing. They slid it, yes, and then they wanted to tell us if they liked it, what they liked. Right. And if they went no, they wanted to tell us why they didn't like why it. They didn't like it. It's human nature. And so the first prototype we had, the, the team came back saying, everybody's talking to us about all their ideas. Because they would say, no one's ever asked me for anything before. If you want to know what I, I think, you should do this, and I should, you should do this. Mm-hmm. And they said, we're just standing there, and we just say, uh, um, slide the thing. That's all we got. (laughs) (laughs) And so the team then said, uh, we need to give, they said, we need something, a second question, so that they can, we can type things in as they're downloading. Yeah. So it's just, now it's two questions. Did you like the service? Yes, smiley face, frowny face. And the second one is, what idea do you have to make us better? Right. Yep. Not what makes you mad and angry. It's just, what idea do you have to make us better? So it's positively inclined. So we started gathering these ideas. Most people in the sector said, yes, this is a dumb idea. You oh, need, really? You need 100 uh, questions. This is silly. It's superficial. 
People, we secretly think you shouldn't ask them. Why? Because they should just be happy with whatever they get. Yeah. Yep. They're getting, kind of they're like, receiving this service. They should be happy with whatever they get, which I don't like, by the way. No, we can, it's, a horrible we can dig it. it's a horrible notion. But people are like, well, there's all these refugees there. Now, part of what happens is, and it happened in, in that organization, when I went to my board of directors and I said, um, we're going to let refugees rate our services like you rate Uber. And everybody paused. <laughs> and then I said, and here's the second piece. We're going to create a website and we're going to put on the website in real time how everybody rates us around the world. Oh, wow. Hmm. No one was going to like that idea. And they said, we really don't like that idea. No. Yep. The rating, okay, it's dumb. I mean, but the transparency, we don't like. Now, again, no one's unreasonable. What also happens in this, because we, we said this to the sector, the other NGOs in the camp, people have the same answer, which is we're all struggling to do a good job here. It's hard enough and you're going to let people rate us and then you want to put it on a website and let the whole world know. And I said, actually, I want to go a step further. I want to put it in the newspapers in the countries we work in and show what the ratings are currently in all the refugee settlements because we were working in refugee camps. Yeah. And uh, they said, um, this is going to be bad. And then somebody said, what if it's all red? <laughs> and I said, well, that would mean that we are so bad <laughs> yeah. that we need to know that like now. And I said, but it won't happen. But the optics, the optics look bad for the organization if it's it all look, red. It will look really bad. And then I said, um, refugees, they don't, they don't suck. They know it's hard. They know that we're strapped for cash. Yep. They know all this. I said, what they'll give us is passing grade. I said, I promise you, it'll be 60-40. Because how do you know? And I said, because they're going to say, it kind of sucks, but you're doing your best. <laughs> so we're going to give you a pass. Yep, Sounds 60, like my, 40. My school report. Is that, is that how you got it? Could do better. Yeah. Yep. Could do better. Always. Here's the funny thing. From then on, every time we deployed Kuja Kuja and did the rating, whether it's clean, always 60, 40. Everyone always says, gives you that rating. No one ever did all the reds. No. Never happened. And But even then, but they would learn over time and they would treat us and they would expect more. But the idea thing was what was remarkable because at first we thought it was just a diversion. Even though I've been doing all these ideas, this is how slow I am. I had done an ideas competition for staff that was amazing. We'd started these ideas for $500. But when it came to the refugees, I completely lost my mind. And so when we, they said, well, let's just put this second question here. What idea do you have? We thought initially that we were doing it just so that the refugee could tap away. But then we started reading the ideas. And we were like, these ideas are amazing. And so we would see them coming in by the hundreds every day. And the teams would come back and the rating was useful, but the ideas were like exploding all over the place. And some of them were, the, were so classic. One of them was in one water point we discovered in one day, they said, um, we got a whole bunch of bads, reds, reds. And when we looked at the ideas, the ideas were stop the boys letting the pretty girls cut in line. <laughs> And we looked down there and we thought, stop the boys letting the pretty girls cut in line. So we went out to that water point and because the, the boys, they're like the teenagers, they run the water points because the water points are like 10 taps. Yeah. And everybody lines up with their yellow jerry cans to fill their jerry cans up. So people line up. And these teenagers are there. And every time they saw a pretty girl in the line, they'd bring her to the front. <laughs> and everybody else had to keep waiting. And so we said to these young guys, are you letting the pretty girls cut in line? And they were like, 
yes, we're leaving the pretty girls, Scotty. So they, can you please stop? Yes. And then it went back into green. We had another, you know, we had a, another medic, we had a pharmacy in a hospital in Rwanda camps uh, and was getting all these reds. And then we looked at the ideas and the ideas were tell the pharmacist to talk less. And then and we got started getting all these ideas. Tell the pharmacist talks too much. The pharmacist keeps asking us about our weekends. So we go in there because it was the wait time was why they were giving us the bad rating. Yeah. And I told the pharmacist every time someone would sit down, oh, Mary, how was your weekend? How would you? And he'd talk on and on. And I made the line go for hours. So we just said stop asking people about their weekends. And the line went straight through. He just gave all the medication. What I love about that is they're giving you, they're giving you solutions to the problem. Because if you tried to solve that, you wouldn't have known that was the reason. You would have gone, how can, we, how can we make these lines more efficient? What if we open up more pharmacies? What if we make the lines shorter? What if people turn up at a certain time to get their medication mm-hmm. when it's literally just this guy enjoying talking to everybody? Right. That's smart. We'd go to all this effort and it was just this guy. Now, at the same time, we got really like remarkable ideas about we would know instantly when a water point was broken. We knew instantly if a clinic had run out of drugs. We knew instantly if there was a, a bout of sickness that was occurring in a refugee camp because we would. the idea would be, I don't have an idea about the water point, but a lot of kids are getting sick. You need to send the nurse here. Oh, okay. Because the first time you do it, and you do this every single day, so every time they came to the water point, we would ask them the rate and we would ask them the idea. The first few ideas they give you is about the water point. But after a while, they're like, I've already told you the ideas about that. I'm going to tell you my idea about fixing the shelter situation or fixing the – and so we were getting all these things. And then we would gather all the other NGOs, the other service providers in, and we would go, they've got some awesome ideas about shelter. And they would go, this is amazing. We'll go and fix these. And so all these sort of ideas came up um, from this, from the ridiculous to the sort of systemic or structural change. So the ideas ended up being incredibly powerful, as they always are. And right now, that organization is called Kuja Kuja, K-U-J-A, K-U-J-A, is working with refugees in um, uh, Venezuelan refugees in Colombia. It's working in different parts of Africa, all doing asking these same questions every single day. It's, now I think it's sitting on around two and a half million ideas have come in from refugees, and we have to use natural language learning to actually get trends and things that are occurring in the ideas to do heat maps of issues that are um, actually arising. So that one had been amazing. But what we did, at the millionth idea, we thought, because then it took off into many different locations, Somalia, all the places where we were in refugee camps, and then we thought, who's got the one in a million idea? What happens is in the app, when somebody says something really amazing, they star it. Right. And because the refugees are collecting it, they just star it and then it comes in the system. Someone's popped up some great idea and that means the team can immediately react to it. So we just search by the start and we discovered the one in a million idea. And What was it? It was um, actually from Nakavali. It was from this first place that we went to. And it was a little, it was an 11-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. And he had told the idea to Mary, who's a, one of the refugees from Kuja Kuja, collect, she's a Kenyan. And she's a political refugee. Her dad was in the police force and all this stuff. And she was one of the ones collecting the data. And so we went to Mary and said, uh, tell us what happened with this idea. And I'll tell you the idea in a moment. Because she said, I was standing at the water point asking everybody for their rating and to give their ideas. And there was a boy standing next to me watching me. And he said to me, Mary, you come here every day and you ask everybody in the line for their ideas. But you've never asked me for my idea. Hmm. And she looked at him and said, well, I would love to hear your idea. And he said, 
Every morning, you open the water point at 7.30. School starts at 8.30. We walk here. We wait in the line. Mum waits in the line 40 minutes, 45 minutes to get the water. By the time she comes home, it's quarter past eight. I have to walk to school. So I've already left at eight. I never, ever have porridge because the water comes too late. He said, I've never, I'd never get breakfast. He said, if you just open the water point one hour earlier at 6.30, mom can come back, make me porridge, and I can have breakfast. <laughs> and Mary had heard that and said, that's a good one. <laughs> it went star. <laughs> and we said, this is, this is the one in the million idea. Now, why? This camp, 100,000 people, yes. so that means about 40,000 kids, yep. about 30,000 of those going to school. It's been going since 1958. Oh, nice. 70 years. So for 70 years, on any particular day, 20 or 30,000 kids are going to school with no breakfast. And we had been running that water point for years. Others had been doing it for generations and no one had ever thought of this and knew it. And all these kids for, for 50 years had been going to school without breakfast? Without breakfast. And so we then just said, well, let's open the water point at 6.30. And so we opened the water point at 6.30 and all the kids got breakfast. So this had a massive impact, a huge number of people, no money. And so he got the one in a million idea. Yeah, great. Yeah. So that's an example of a power of an idea, right? And actually the person, one of the original refugees from Nakavali, who who was in many ways one of the founders of Kuja Kuja, because that's where we tested it, is a person by the name of Sibyl. And she'll talk about what we did together with Kuja Kuja and how we started that in Nakavale and how you were one of the original, was it like five uh, people that actually made Kuja Kuja what it is. So what was that experience like for you in those early times? What, what happened? I'm, I'm always uh, passionate to talk about Kuja Kuja because it's one of the amazing, I think, um, organizations that really listen to the communities we used to go to the communities, of course, uh, with our tablets to collect feedback. And then so someone would give an idea. So Kuja Kuja doesn't collect complaints. It collects ideas of improvement. So someone would say, um, today water is dirty. I think it would be good to maybe increase some chemicals or people would talk about maybe pressure of water and be like, you know, we are, it's a, it's a very long queue. We are, we are here for some good time. So if they could increase the pressure, that will help. It's been a good experience uh, because up to now I still work with Kuja Kuja and it's, it's always amazing to hear people's voices, uh, people's ideas uh, around the services that they receive in the settlement. When you think back to the ideas or the feedback you got, do any of those really stand out to you? Oh, Yes. There was a time when we're also going to the places where a light would go for some awareness sessions. And that's when actually we realized that some of the ideas uh, do not even need a budget. You know, it's just about like someone, like the service provider to listen to the community and hear what Mm -hmm. they think. So um, there was a time when we went for an awareness session and after they provide sodas, you know, the drinks. So one woman came and she was like, instead of giving us a soda of 1,500 Ugandan shilling, how about you exchange that to soap? You give us a soap, even if it's for 1,000, 
But instead of giving us this soda, give us soap. So that when we go back home, at least we are we are having something uh, that we can show to the family, you know, mm. and something that the whole family can benefit from. And when we shared this during, uh, we used to have uh, what we call innovation hours, where we sit with the service provider and share these ideas. Uh, the service providers are like, what? <laughs> this is a brilliant idea. And we don't need to add any budget. This is just about the operations to exchange these sodas to shop. Mm-hmm. And this is very doable. And it makes a lot of sense, you know, because that woman was like, I will drink this this soda right now and that will be it. So mm-hmm. uh, instead of that, uh, please give us soap. And the next time they changed the, the whole system, they were giving so, uh, soap and it was really amazing. I That was one of the, the ideas that really stood out for me. Mm. Yeah. And you remember back in those early days, we made Kuja Kuja decision to make it bright yellow and to be a smiley face and to be full of joy. Do you remember back why that was? We believe that it's it's always good to share a smile because the yellow is all about the sun. So we spread the sunshine or the joy in the community. Whenever we go out, we believe that a smile can change someone's, you know, day. That's one of our beliefs at Kuja Kuja. And it's also this idea that there's sort of a moment where people decide, are they going to get angry and make complaints or are they going to act positively and give you ideas? And so we're sort of trying to go out with that positive, joyful approach and it unleashes positive ideas and positivity and it's sort of shared around and you guys were like the greatest ambassadors for that. Through that experience, how did you change or what did you learn, Sibyl? One thing that I've learned and I still believe that is really a great thing for me is that you can bring things to people and until when you hear what people actually think, that's when you're able to to know uh, if you're doing good or not. Um, there's this story, um, like uh, an organization that brought 50 laptops into uh, an area, it's all in Akivali, and they brought the 50 computers because they thought that people uh, needed computers, right? And when they brought those computers, no one was interested in using those computers because they were like, I mean, how do you bring computers in an area where we don't have power, we don't have electricity, right? We don't have skills, right? And you just you just bring computers, right? How about you reach out first and you hear what people think of your service or what what you need, right? I think for me, uh, it's all about listening to the people you are designing services for. And you've started an organization, so why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, I started an organization in uh, 2021. It's called Had Dreams Count. So in Uganda, when COVID started, the schools were shut for almost two years. And very many young girls were getting early pregnancies and early marriages, uh, especially in Nakimali. And it was really sad. It was really sad. And so I sat and I was like, how do I support my community? Because it's just getting too much. So I contacted a few friends and I was like, hey, guys, I think we need to do something uh, with these young girls. So we reached out and were like, "Uh, do you think you'd be interested in learning coding? You know, Uh, some of them didn't know what what coding is. Uh, We explained and they were like, oh, my God, we can't wait. Yeah. So 
when we started, we had, we could only afford 25, but we had like a hundred girls who wanted to join the program. And uh, so what we do at Her Dreams Count is we do coding. So we teach them how to create websites, but also social media marketing. We teach them how to manage the social media. And apart from that program, we also have uh, what we call Girl Talk Sessions. She's also part of uh, like one of my favorites, where as girls, we sit and we share experiences. We talk about a life in Akivani. We talk about our own challenges. We talk about stories. We share stories. We share uh, our dreams. Like we talk about our dreams. It's more of like a, kind of like a space where we feel safe to talk about anything, talk about our families. Uh, of course, some of these young girls are also adolescent mothers, those that gave birth at an early age. So they also share their, their stories. Their stories are usually really inspiring. So during the girl talk sessions, sometimes we also invite uh, some of the experts in GBV, in gender-based violence, in child protection to come and talk about, you know, different topics, but also allow these young girls to ask questions. And also like for any girl who feels like wants to talk to the counselor or, you know, like who wants an expert to talk to, have access to them. So we also teach them about life skills, like public speaking, presentations, how to make a presentation. So it's, uh, it's also one of our programs, but we also also have like a component of entrepreneurship because, uh, one of our vision or mission at Her Dreams Count is to make these young girls self-reliant. It's mm, amazing. So you've always been a leader, Sibyl, but now you run your own organization that you founded. What's your leadership journey been like? What's the big thing you learned through all of this over the last two years? Uh, that's a good question, Danielle. <laughs> um, being a leader sometimes is not easy, I would say, uh, because sometimes you have to sacrifice your sleep and sleep for maybe two to three hours. Sometimes it's hard to make big decisions, but it has been a fun, a very fun journey and kind of not easy. But one of the things that I've learned is that being a leader is about your passion. You can do anything if you're really passionate about what you're doing or the journey that you've taken. And it's also about, of course, sacrifice. It's also about the willingness to grow and to accept feedback, accepting to learn because I'm always open to learn uh, new stuff. I'm always happy to learn from other people and, and listen to your feedback. So, yeah. Uh, so um, lovely to see you. Yes. Uh, good to see you too, Daniel. I think uh, it's been a while since I last saw you uh, on a video. <laughs> All right. See Thank you, Sibyl. Thank you. I love that story about the soda and the soap. It's right. just such a simple, simple act, right, to, mm -hmm. for them to have something they can take back to their family rather than consuming it on the spot themselves. Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic example of that. And imagine you had like millions of those. That's it, it. Just makes everything richer. And and sometimes actually a small act can have an even more profound impact. Um, the story that comes to my mind is in the same country, actually Uganda. Mm -hmm. But, and it's based on the $500 um, idea, not so much oh, Kuja Kuja. So from, the start of the from the start of the podcast. This idea that, you know, in the face of the impossible, you get $500 and do something right yeah. now. 
We were working in the far north of Uganda as a place called Bidi Bidi, which is a, a large set of refugee camps for South Sudanese people that are coming into the country. And it's hundreds of thousands of South Sudanese refugees. It's a very isolated spot. And um, the organization I was in at that time, we were looking after child protection and looking after vulnerable families. And the person that was leading that effort in this was a person called Sonia. And she, her job was to find vulnerable people, disabled people, kids that are coming in by themselves without their parents, any of those people that need special attention. Our job was to find them and make sure they get channeled in for special attention and looked after, protected. And so the way that she would find them, though, because, you know, people are walking in, Bitty Bitty's an enormous area, and so you've got refugees flooding in all the time, mm -hmm. but they all congregate in a thing called the reception centre. So that's where all refugees that arrive get taken to the reception centre yeah. uh, to get their name, to get them in the system and provide the first humanitarian assistance to them. But the very first thing that you do is there's a what's called a wet wet, it's a horrible name, a wet food station. Right. Essentially, it's just like hot food because... People have often walked two weeks to get here, yep. and they've walked two weeks through the bush. Yep. So they come in hungry. And so there's a wet food, there's a, this hot ration sitting up there, and there's a line of people. So Sonia used to go and stand near the line because you will see everyone that arrives, and mm -hmm. you can find the people that are really in trouble. And so she was standing there at the line one day, and uh, she watched an interaction that was happening at the front of the line. There was a man maybe in his 40s. There was sort of a heated sort of conversation going on. And then she noticed he reached down. And he was wearing gumboots and he took off one of the gumboots. He took a knife from the area because it's like a little kitchen sort of, it's in the open, but a kitchen area. And he sliced the top part of the gumboot off. So it was just the bottom part of the boot. And he handed the bottom part of the boot to the person that was ladling out the food. Mm -hmm. And the person ladled out all of his food into the gumboot. That he'd been walking in. That he'd been walking in for like two weeks. And then he walked off. And Sonia thought, what on earth is happening? Yeah. And so she ran up to the guy with the gumboot. He was eating, he was like eating it out of the gumboot. And then she said, why are you eating out of the, what happened? And he said, well, I've walked for two weeks. I'm so hungry. And I was desperate. And along the way, I've lost everything. I've got nothing but what I'm wearing. And I got to the front of the line and the person said, where's your plate? Like, where's your bowl to put the food in? And he said, I don't have anything. I've just got the clothes on my back. And the person said, well, if you don't have a bowl, how can I possibly give you any food? You have to come back when you get a bowl. Mm. Refugees get humanitarian assistance like bowls, like shelter, yeah. but it's the next thing in line, right? right. It's like after maybe it's after the food and yeah. everything else, right? You have to go and register and you do all this stuff. It takes hours. And he said, I was too hungry. I, I can't wait. So he said, I, I knew that I had my boot. And I could use that. And so I said, can you use my boot? And the person didn't know what to do, and I handed them the boot, and they put the food in the boot. <laughs> and Sonia stood there and thought, um, this is just not... It's crazy. This is not acceptable. Yeah. And so she thought, what can I do right now to solve this problem? And so what she did is she raced into town, and she bought a whole bunch of plates, cups, and knives and forks. And right next to that line, she created a lending library of plates, spoons, and things like that. Mm. So everyone in the line could just take what they need, they borrow it like a lending library. Yes. And then later on, when they get given their um, their own stuff, they return these plates. Bring it back. Yeah, they bring it back. <laughs> and these are all like colorful plastic. I'll put a picture up actually of Sonia on my Instagram of Sonia holding up these plates that she created. But she could create that instantly. And you might say, um, well, you know, it's a plate lending library. 
I, I have made this point throughout this podcast and I'll keep making it. And Sabil is also a great example of this. People do not need us to give them dignity. All of us are born with it. We're all born to the point I made in another podcast, sacred and wondrous. Mm -hmm. The problem is the world erodes that dignity and takes it away from us. And this was an instance of that. This person, this was just not fit. It's like the young girl that was dumped on the rubbish tip. People deserve better than this. And so in the face of this, you can make a quick decision, do something concrete, and you think it's not just giving plates. It literally is stopping that man having to go through that moment where he realized that he's going to have to cut his boot and have to weigh it up and realize that his hunger trumps his dignity. Yep. And no one should have to ask that and make that decision. And so little things like that can make a huge difference, actually not a small difference. So that's what that $500 thing is about, but it's also what the power of ideas is about. Fantastic. Daniel, thank you. DanielWordsworth.com is the website address if you'd like to go and ask Daniel a question. You can follow him on the socials. And don't forget to rate the podcast if you enjoy it. Please share it with your friends and follow and subscribe on Spotify and Apple. Thank you. We'll talk to you again next time. Thank you.